As we interact with God's word this morning, let's take a few moments in silence. You can share with the Lord your desire to be responsive to him this morning. Let's pray together. Father, as we interact with your word this morning, we want to be sensitive to it, being doers of your word and not hearers only. Thank you for the way you will work as we're yielded to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We Americans long for an economy that grows at least 4% quarter after quarter. Perhaps we will if once again we follow the mesh economy. Let me explain. Gilbert Allen Mesh is from Lafayette, Louisiana. At 6'3", weighing 220 pounds, he was a sure bet for Major League Baseball. The big right-hander signed with the Seattle Mariners in 1999, and for 10 years, Gill was a million-dollar winner. Well, almost. Now with the Kansas City Royals, he refused his 2011 salary. I don't want to be the guy who makes $12 million doing absolutely nothing to help the team. Mesh wants to keep pitching, but his shoulder won't cooperate. Rather than sit on the bench for an entire season, he retired and forfeited big bucks. This action surprised everyone in Kansas City. For in an economy where contracts matter, play or no play, the Royals owed him the money. As one writer said about him, a sore-arm pitcher serves up a lesson in trust. What immoral quality for a future business partner. If we can't find someone reliable to do, do, to do a deal with, you simply don't do a deal. There was a time when most Americans knew this and did it. Would you listen to Gil talk because of integrity? I would ask also, will you listen to what... Mark says concerning the John the Baptist, because John the Baptist had integrity. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, reading together verses 1 through 13. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths before And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean country side and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River John wore clothing made of camel's hair 
with a leather belt about around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And a voice from, came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once a spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. This morning I want to focus on Mark 1, verses 4 through 8. I want to challenge you to listen and apply what we discuss. Because of the integrity of the messenger, the messenger being John. And the integrity of the messenger in day-by-day living, whether it be me, whether it be you, as we live our daily lives, is very important. And to illustrate that, I have some pizza up here, and I will need a volunteer. Alan. There's four different packages here. The first package is Nardone's. The second package is a specialty made by Pastor Dan, some pizza. The third one is from Red's, it's bacon and onion. And the fourth one is Red's sausage, you get your pick. You don't have to eat it now, but you get your pick. Okay, thank you, you may leave. Now I do have a question for you, Alan. Why did you not pick Pastor Dan's specialty? How about our Nardones? The maker of the pizza makes a difference to Alan. I was hoping he'd raise his hand because I knew I had him. Because I knew he would pick that, I was pretty sure. The same thing the messenger in day-by-day living makes a difference. Would you sooner listen to David Jeremiah, who is on at 9 o'clock, at least in WRGN, each weekday morning, or Jimmy Swaggard, who fell into immorality years ago with a prostitute, but at the time being a pastor? The messenger makes a difference in the message. We daily value the integrity of a messenger. Let's reread Mark 4 verses 4 through 8. And so John came baptizing in the desert region, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the 
In verses 2 and 3, the fact that a messenger was coming forward before Jesus Christ is clearly stated. The first four words in verse 4, and so John came, indicate that John is the messenger who is going to prepare or who prepared the way for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Please keep in mind that as we discuss, the life of Christ is found in Mark that we're discussing the message of John. That is, his purpose, his ministry, which was to prepare for Jesus Christ. His life was not about himself. It was about Christ. As we discuss the Gospel of Mark, particularly John, keep in mind, in relation to John's message, that the nation of Judah is in an extended period of silence in terms of the Lord communicating with them. Between Malachi and John the Baptist, we have some 400 years of basically silence. The Jews did not respond to Malachi's message. So in essence, silence from God. They had a form of godliness, but their worship was basically empty. We also find that there are parallels between the ministry of John the Baptist in the wilderness and the nation of Israel as it relates to the wilderness. Like Elijah, John the Baptist is identified with the wilderness. The vast barren lands of Judah seared by the wind and heat. The wilderness repeatedly in Israel's history was a place of repentance, hence God's grace. And as Israel repented, God also brought deliverance, thus hope. We also find that as John comes baptizing, that John the Baptist's baptism was totally radical and new. The noted Commentator on the Gospel of Mark, William Lane, says that the baptism by Mark, or by John the Baptist, I'm sorry, was novel. No one else ever did it. The only thing that ever came close was the fact that the Gentile converts to Judaism were baptized. However, that baptism was a ritual washing from all the defilement of the past. The Jews are now being asked to do something they had never done before in their history. Jews being baptized on earth, heard of. This is why John was called the baptizer. And so John came baptizing in the desert region. Remember, this is something new, something different. As the one whom John will present, Jesus Christ, preparing the way for him is also new. What's he doing? He's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so John came baptizing in the desert region, preaching a baptism of repentance. 
The outward baptism indicated a heart of repentance. Repentance is a compound word meaning to change one's mind or to alter one's understanding. Jews were making a change. The repentance led to forgiveness of sins. So John came baptizing in the desert region, preaching a baptism of repentance. As John came and he preached, he was talking about a total radical lifestyle, the totality of one's life, not just for notorious sinners or Gentiles, but for even the so-called righteous Jews. And the only reference to John's baptism made outside of the New Testament, Josephus, underscores the intention of the reform. By ex- he says, John exhorted the Jews to lead righteous lives, to practice justice towards their fellow Jews and piety towards God, and so join in baptism. The preparation by John involved preparing the way for the gospel of Christ and it involved a preaching about sin. And so John came baptizing in the desert region, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those who mourn see their need of God's grace, thus a Savior. John goes on, or Mark goes on, it says, The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. The message of preparing for Christ was a message about sin. As we think about John and his life, he had an interesting lifestyle. He prepared the way for Jesus. He had a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Notice in verse 6, John wore clothing made of camel's hair. The leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. John was not making a fashion statement. His camel's hair robe was a kind worn by the very poor. His belt, unlike the fancy belt so popular in those days, was simply a leather thong. His food was not exciting either. Catch a few locusts. And then go to the beehive for dessert. But actually, John was in perfect control of his lifestyle. He knew exactly what he was doing. For he assumed the dress and style of the ancient prophet Elijah the Tishbite. Described in 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse 8 who called his people to national repentance. John's dress and lifestyle were a protest against the godlessness 
and self-preserving materialism of his day. It was a call where he set himself apart from the culture as he baptized in the desert regions, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What was beautiful about the life of John was that his life and actions bore out who he was. He lived a life apparently of continual repentance and uncompromising obedience to God. He fearlessly proclaimed his message just as the ancient prophet did. He rebuked the Pharisees by saying, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. For the common people, he gave the instruction, the man who has two tunics should share with the one who has none. He told the tax gatherers to be fair. He warned the soldiers not to be content and high-handed. John was as fearless as he looked. He was also in keeping with his attire, humble and self-forgetting. Later, when someone came to John, John's disciples came with alarm, saying that uh, Jesus was going to take over his ministry. John said, a man can only receive what is given him from heaven. I am not the Christ. John saw himself as a joyous friend of the bridegroom and concluded with these words, he must become greater, I must become less. The reason John was an effective witness is that he embodied his message. His life, his appearance embodied his message. Sorry there, I went the wrong way. First mistake in the last couple minutes. There's a quote from Philip Brooks. Truth through personality is our description of real preaching. The truth must come through the person, not merely over the lips. It must come through his character, his affections, his whole intellect, intellectual and moral being. It must come genuinely through him. The messenger is not merely uttering words because the messenger is the message in many respects. Because if the message he proclaims verbally has not taken a hold of his life, it loses its impact. That's why I ask, would you sooner listen to David Jeremiah, who I think the message he proclaims has embodied itself in David Jeremiah. In contrast to Jimmy Swaggart, who to this day, to my understanding, is still preaching, but the message has not taken hold, has not embodied itself in him. As a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, 
as a student, as a teacher, as an employee, as an employer. The message embodied in our lives has a tremendous impact on what happens verbally. Bishop Quayle says, preaching is the art of making a preacher and delivering that. John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit while yet in Elizabeth's womb. He was a Nazarite from birth, totally committed to God, never touching the dead or strong drink, never cutting his hair or a sign that he was totally set apart unto God. John the Baptist embodied his message. In a sense, he was the message. Others could have said the same thing, but to no avail. The fact that his words saturated his being and dominated his life, the fact that they were true in him, gave him immense power. Alan chose pizza from Red's because they embody their message that we make good pizza, and Alan has experienced that repeatedly. I do not embody the message that I make good pizza. What is in there, Alan, is something Ruth Ann made years ago. You take a piece of bread, you toast it. You put on some spaghetti sauce. Then you put some cheese on it. That's pizza. Nardones, some of you may like it. See, Alan was concerned about the messenger that determined the message. John the Baptist embodied his message so that when he spoke, there was a message to be heard. What was John's message? After me will come more powerful than, one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. John's life, John's message was not about him. After me. will come one more powerful than I. The lowest of the servants would wash the feet. But John says, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals on Jesus' feet. He also says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. But the baptism of Jesus is something much greater, involving the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John chapter 16, you know, I have to leave so the comforter can come. It also involves the body of Christ. It involves holy living within the believer. 
It involves power, an enablement, a transforming life. As you read Acts and you read the epistles, when John says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about something great. Probably one that we don't grasp, and that is just the baptism with the Spirit of God and all that that entails, and more will be said about that in the future. The central message of John's sharing is that Jesus Christ will come. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is saying there's someone new coming, someone unique, someone who has never been here before, someone who is different. That is Jesus Christ. And verse 9 goes on. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth. With the end of verse 8, the preparation for Jesus Christ by John the Baptist has been completed. Now Jesus comes on the scene, and Lord willing, we'll pick up with that next week. Think about some possible applications to what we have discussed this morning. The messenger. Men, women, husband, wife, father, mother, child, student, employee, employer, teacher, citizen, driver, seller, buyer, church leader, must embody his or her message if it is to be heard. That is why personality Desires, affections, intellect, and moral being are so critical. It must influence the entire person. This means methods, atmosphere, media, used in teaching, fall into the background in terms of the power of the messenger. We're tempted to think if we get the right method, we get the right structure, we use PowerPoint, that it will really work. And I think John is saying, I am the message. I embody the message. And as a speaker, whether it be a husband or a father or a wife or a mother or a student or a teacher or an employer or employee, as they embody their message, that is so powerful. A husband, a father who is talking to his son who is going to get married and he says to his son, Son, love your wife as Christ loved the church. He says, Son, lead her, care for her, minister to her. And the son is thinking, I should listen to dad. Because how many times did dad say to me, I'm sorry, son. 
I can't do something with you right now because your mother comes first. How many times did I hear dad say to mom, Honey, I love you. How many times did I hear my dad say to my mother, to his wife, Honey, we're not going to do that because it's violation of biblical principles. I will listen to dad because he embodied the message. Be like a parent saying to son or daughter, son or daughter, I want you to know that this Christmas there's not going to be a lot of new gadgets. I know you've told me, you've told us as parents that you want this technological item, this technological item, and this technological item. There's not going to be any of them this Christmas. And the reason is that I don't want any of them to become an idol in your life. I notice that they're beginning to dominate your life. And son or daughter listens and says, I think I better listen because mom and dad said no to the latest technological item that they wanted. Because they said, we just don't have the money at this point in time. The parent embodying the message. It's like one of you students who are in school saying to another student who wants to cheat, and you, you say, no, don't cheat. And the student who, fellow student who hears you say that thinks, ah, huh, that's coming from Sammy Lindley. And I've been observing Sammy Lindley's life, and she's the one who is growing and respecting her parents. She's the one who listens in class even when the rest of the kids carry on. She's the one who took a very poor grade in a paper because she said to the teacher, I really didn't follow all the rules, but you would have never known it if I didn't tell you, but I'm telling you I didn't. You know, there's something about Sammy Lindley that I think I better take note of what she says. John the Baptist embodied his message. (coughs) Thus people listen. Pose a question. Is a factor in children not going on for God in America as adults related to the messenger parents? Related to the messenger, pastors and teachers who are not embodying their message. Sometimes we're tempted to trust in the big things. Concerts, musicians, radio speakers, authors, the media, conferences to try to get through to people. And I think John the Baptist, Jesus, and Mark are saying, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, employers, employees, students, teachers, citizens, shoppers, buyers, 
embody the message that's where the power is. The impact of what we call little is so very, very great. The people who have impacted my life are those who were small from the world's perspective. A dad, a mom, a pastor who was also a dairy farmer. One of the maintenance guys at Tennessee Temple University. A father-in-law who was a trucker. As a husband, as a father, as a mother, as an employee, and so on, you have tremendous impact. John the Baptist, who is he? He's a guy out in the desert. And what does he do? He eats locusts and honey. But he embodied his message. We probably don't need a lot more big names, big speakers. We need guys and gals like you and me who embody Christ and live it out. I really believe Mark chapter 1, 4 through 8, is the embodiment of the message in John the Baptist lived out in day-by-day living. And he said, he, Christ, must increase, I must decrease. You and I have a tremendous impact. After leaving the White House in 1929, Calvin College did what most presidents do. He negotiated a lucrative writing contract. Ten articles, $2,000 apiece. He delivered all ten, but Collier's Magazine published only six. He was paid $20,000. They must not have been good articles, Coleridge said, as he handed the publisher a check for $8,000. He had a contract. Why return the money? He came from a Bible-trusting family. He had strong convictions. He came from an intimate New England community where people did business with each other over and over. He wanted the next deal. Every man is built to every price or every deal, he said. Yes, Gill was a million-dollar winner. The Kansas City Royals pitcher embodied his message. John the Baptist embodied his message. Let's day by day embody Christ. And as we embody that, we need one another. We need encouragement from one another, the blessing from others to spur us on. And as we sing together a song in relation to that, be encouraged.